This episode is brought to you by Zencaster. Zencaster is the number one tool for all podcasters. You can record high fidelity audio between remote locations and get studio quality sound. Go to Zencaster.com and use coupon code that entertains for 20% off for three months or 20% off an annual plan. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything is Awesome. I am your host, Kev, and this is the show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. And this is continuing our special uh, for Keystone Comic Con coverage. 2018 marked the very first Keystone Comic Con ever in the history of its con-ness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and joined with me again is uh, is Mr. Mike D'Angelo from the world of TELUS. Howdy. Uh, so uh, we are going to talk about... Uh, so I only went to three days... Uh, Two days. Two of, days of a three-day three day con. con. I went to day one, day three. Day three, I got a little bit of a later start. We already talked about day one. Uh, so day three, I have one thing I want to save for the end uh, of this episode to close out with, which is, like the, <laughs> which is the feedback panel. But um, before we get to all that, I do want to say, make sure you... We didn't plug this at all in the last episode. God, gosh darn it. Uh, make sure you check out patreon.com slash that entertains. It is our network Patreon where you can, uh, you can subscribe and get early access to all our in-house shows, including Everything is Awesome, Boys Keep Out, The Ladies Who Rant, and anything else that's coming down the pike, which will be hopefully... We're going to be having two more podcasts launch in October and maybe even a third one, depending on when you and I get together uh, for that thing. Uh, and uh, if you cannot support us in a mon- uh, monetary way, that's okay. You can leave a five-star rating review on iTunes. That helps us climb the ladder in Apple and more people to see us there will listen to us and that will be helpful or word of mouth recommendations. All great. Thank you for doing that. Um, and of course, that's all I got. Subscribe of course, to, that's all I have. Yeah, subscribe to Mike's Patreon, too. Patreon.com slash tell us. Uh, every dollar counts, guys. So uh, day three of the con, I walked in, um, and the first thing I actually did because I was running late is I, I got in and I beelined to Wawa <laughs> to get, because I had enough time to walk to Wawa, get a couple diet peach iced teas, and get a coffee. And where's the Wawa in relation to that? Uh, around you took like, the train or you drove? I, I took the train again. Okay. So I took the train. Because uh, I know they had the Dunkin' right as you yes, walk up. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, Dunkin' Coffee for Weight Watchers is garbage. Okay. Uh, it's like 18 points for one. Now, I could get black coffee, but the co- like the coffee I like is 18 points at Dunkin', four points at Wawa because I get like the sugar-free caramel and I get almond milk instead of regular milk and whatnot. So anyway... Uh, the Wawa is like at um, I think ninth and Walnut. It's on Walnut, ninth or tenth, somewhere in that area. So it's not even that bit bad of a walk. No, it was like a, it was. I mean, I screwed up my walk because <laughs> I I forgot that I had it on car directions. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was telling you go this way. So, go this. so you're going down one way streets and stuff. Yeah. So um, I eventually fixed it and got to where I was going to go. But it was like to get back to the con. It was like maybe I think like a five to ten minute walk. I do like how this segment has just been like, how do you get directions? <laughs> <laughs> and if Google Maps wants to sponsor this podcast, <laughs> go ahead. Also, Wawa. Um, so, 
uh, got back and I just beelined right to the first panel that I was um, there to see. I, I mean, the first one I was there to see happened hours beforehand. Uh, but the first one I wanted to go see was Females in Fandom, um, Star Wars Geek Girl. Now, I didn't read anything about this panel. I just said, oh, this, you know, I want to see this panel because I am like, as I run a network that's wants to be an inclusive network for everybody. Like I want to see what these, what this is going to be about. And if you see a, a, and you can even take a tag long tagline away from it, females and fandom, like what do you assume that panel is going to be? Um, I don't know. I mean, cause it, it, I, when I first think about it, it's like getting more kind of like females represented in comics yeah. and things like that. This almost sounds like it's the fans rather than, well, no, no, it was, um, yeah, I guess so. That's th- good point. I that's not that's probably the way I should have gone. Yeah, cuz I mean immediately when you think about it, like my immediate thought and yeah. then when you asked me, I I kind of went the other yeah. way. Like, well, if it's not going to be that, then it has to be. It's, it's funny cuz I didn't go the other way. I stuck with like I assume this is going to be a panel about talking about like women representation in in, in Marvel and DC exactly. and stuff like that. And and I knew and, there was And you had that recently because they did the Wonder Woman movie, they're doing the Captain Marvel movie, it's, things it's, like that. It's definitely getting better. Um, and I think it's smaller scale stuff, except for Star Wars, still needs to work on it. But s- smaller scale stuff like Marvel, not and I should say Marvel TV, and like a lot of the TV things are doing it, and now it's starting to creep into the bigger MCU and, and DCEU stuff and whatnot. But this was um, Star, Star Wars uh, Geek Girl is a podcast that may or may not be from this area. I have no idea. I'm trying to get more information on it. Um, but it's a it's a podcast hosted by now only one of the hosts were there but hosted by women obviously um and uh that's what they were doing it was they were just doing their podcast and they were mainly talking about like women in star wars and not necessarily from a fan perspective but from uh how are women represented in star wars and but but in a very not the way i was expecting it at all um and that this isn't like i'm not, not in a bad way like i enjoyed the panel a lot um, and it made me interested into like, getting more information about this podcast okay. uh, and, and whatnot. And, and, and just, and I've, I've been on Star Wars. I'm getting ready to launch a Star Wars podcast. So I've been on a Star Wars kick um, and whatnot. So, uh, but I did, I have to say, and I do apologize if, if the people who are uh, fans uh, of that podcast, not, not fans, if the people that are, uh, that, that do the podcast, that produce that podcast and whatnot are listening to this, I do apologize for, uh, bolting out as soon as you said it was time to give uh, give stuff away, because uh, I was like there was now there was a, there was a mix of uh, males and females in that room, but I was maybe one of the only like thirty year olds there for sure, for sure. Uh, part of the press uh, and got like they were they gave raffle tickets to give stuff away, and I was like I'm not going to be the press guy, the old old man press. That gets a free thing here. So I quietly packed my stuff up and, and scooted out once they said they were like, hey, we're going to get ready to do giveaways. Um, but it was, yeah, and they had, uh, there's a, another podcaster from New York who does a Star Wars, like Rebel cast or something that came down um, to to be the, she kind of ended up being the host of the of the, the panel, like and interviewing the host of the podcast about stuff. It was a really weird dynamic, but interesting. Like, it, like I said, it caught my attention. Um, so I did that and then I, I bolted to go see Nick uh, and talk to him and, and that's when we discovered that like Friday this is Mr. Waski yes Mr. Waski uh, brother of uh, the other Waski <laughs> brother of the other Waski owner of alternate uh, alternate dimensions um, they uh, so I was talking to him for a little bit and um, 
like he his his issue with the the con was like it doesn't look like they really are um bringing in like people <laughs> to to like he wasn't happy with the the talent that was there john barrowman to me and i uh, now I think it would be argued that maybe the office and and Drew Plod were the bigger talent, but to me John Barrowman was the biggest talent there. So I mean, when we look at it, it's a lot of TV talent. There wasn't a lot of movie talent, right? I don't think there was any movie talent. I mean, I mean, these people have been in movies, but sure. But I mean, they're, they're not like any of the big superhero movie characters. It's no one from like the Harry Potter franchise no, or no, anything no, like no, that. No, no. And I mean, those are the really big ones right now. Is you got your Star Wars, your comics, yeah. your Harry Potter. Um, I mean, maybe down the line with like the Amazon thing, maybe we'll see. Well, no, because that's not movies; that's yeah. TV. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It was yeah. There was it was a lot of TV talent, but th- again, this and, and this will will kind of kick into a uh, conversation we have at the end of this uh, this episode. But um, I, I think the placement of the pod uh, the podcast, the placement of the con being two weeks out from New York, New York con, I think had a lot to do with that. Um, Keystone, I think, has potential to become um, bigger than Wizard World. Um, it, it, I, the, the issues that this con had, I think, was mainly um, placement based. Um, so they had something we didn't talk about in the last episode, but I'm, I'm, I, I purposely saved it because it relates to my interview with Sandy King is when you first walk in, like pretty much all the exhibitors and artist alley and everything is to the left. And then straight ahead is the live stage where they had music playing uh, and bands playing and then a wrestling ring. To your right was literally nothing. Like they had a couple photo op things for like movie trailers and they're like, oh, get your picture like Venom and get your picture with the Fantastic Beasts and a bunch of stuff. Uh, And and then like the the bands were also set up kind of over there. And then behind that was like the cosplay area and some more exhibitors and stuff. Um. So when I went to go meet up with Sandy King, Sandy King is the wife of the legendary horror master John Carpenter. So Sandy King Carpenter. I like how when she became the wife, he became legendary. <laughs> well, and, and and I will we'll get to that in the interview where where we only I mean I don't even know that we brought a Mr. Carpenter up by name. Like I don't think I think I at once I referenced him as your husband, and that's it. I wanted to make sure this was an important interview for me. I loved sitting down and talking with Megan Rand. That was an important interview as for, for like me personally. Um, I never thought I would be sitting down and talking to uh, Sandy King Carpenter, who is like a, a, just like a legend in her own right. She's a writer. She's an artist. She's um, a producer, a script supervisor, which is like, like you're juggling a lot of uh, things at, when you're she's a multi hyphenate. She she's a renaissance woman um and and she's done a lot um for herself for the genre of horror um with and without John. Okay. Uh, so so she's the queen of horror as far as I'm concerned. We had a great conversation about horror. We had a great conversation about her career. Um and I I'm not going to spoil it, but I will tease it. She turned down a job that and she did it for herself. She thought that's what was best for her. And it worked out, obviously. She turned down a job at one of the biggest companies in the world. Okay. Uh, and I found that fascinating. And to the point where I don't know if... if uh, I'm trying to think of the equivalent in in the podcasting world because that's it's such a new medium but like if kevin smith offered me a job it would be like me saying no to that okay uh is isn't so it's it's insane but she did it for her own well-being uh and and it was this was a fascinating conversation with a with a woman who is um 
in the horror franchise genre, like in the bag, she's really knowledgeable about it. I mean, she's worked alongside her husband uh, on several films as a, as a uh, script supervisor, as a producer. Um, she's done TV, and now she is running Storm King uh, Comics, uh, which is uh, her and John put together to bring horror comics to the world um, which is kind of an underrepresented genre and yeah, you don't see too much of it as far from like the big guys no and you get a couple for maybe image and you get a couple for maybe dark horse but usually they're only around during uh during the holidays during the the halloween season um, and, and storm king is doing more than they're doing horror and sci-fi um, and I, I've read a couple so far. She gave me a free little uh, sample that they're working. They're going to launch like a kids horror line to, to get kids into the genre earlier. So, but not in a way where it's like horrifying, horrifying, You're not being terrified yeah, exactly. or anything like that. So, um, it's kind of like goosebumps. Exactly. But like probably a little bit scarier than that. Yeah. So this is a fascinating conversation, um, with, with, uh, Sandy King, uh, again, grateful for her time. Cause I, I definitely, I kept her longer cause it was just a fascinating conversation. I mean, she's got years in the business. Um, and, and she's just real sharp, real funny to, to sit down and talk with. Uh, so we'll be back on the other end to kind of wrap up this discussion. Here is my interview with miss Sandy King Carpenter right here on awesomepodcast.com and that entertains.com slash network. Thank you for doing this. First and foremost, my pleasure. Uh, I was I, I when I got the email. I have a friend who's in love with your husband's work, uh, with with all the horror movie classic horror movies. So I was like, "Yo, get this!" <laughs> uh, and I, I, I'm just I've like gotten into like the classic horror stuff. I'm a terrible horror genre fan. I got into it as a kid in the '90s, so I grew up with like Scream and stuff, and never went back to the old stuff. Yeah, so it was either parody or then it went into torture porn. And yeah. then it went into just straight splatter that didn't understand anything. Um, but you just barely missed all the guys that were really saying something as a mm. horror. Horror is really allegorical. Yeah. And that's why you see people still having, you know, movie theater revivals of, you know, Halloween, Night of the Living Dead, uh, Videodrome, and a lot of those that were saying something because what they were saying is really timely now. Yeah. And it's the, I consider myself a horror fan, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a bad one because I don't, I, I'm still in the process of going back. Like the first thing that my, somebody told me is like, go back and watch the thing. You're, that's <laughs> the one that if you're going to kick it off like that establishes a lot of horror tropes that are used today. And yeah. and yeah, I mean, I couldn't, it's, it's October is the month that I try to like do a deep dive into like, one horror movie a night and so i said this year i'm gonna do the classics like i'm gonna go and watch all the ones i should have watched when i got into horror in my teenage years and because i was like as a kid i was just like i was afraid like beetlejuice scared me as a kid well that's valid i mean first of all i i think that people show horror to kids far too young Mm -hmm. um there's definitely you know entrees to horror with with uh uh Oh, what the hell are they called? You know, there, there's there's d- little steps for a little mm-hmm. feet. You know, you can start them off watching scary tales and duck tales and things mm-hmm. like that. You don't have to say how tough your kid is by scaring the pants off and giving him nightmares for life. Yeah. They're, they're not ready for it. Our kids weren't allowed to see our movies until they were 12. Oh, wow. Which pissed them off righteously because <laughs> their friends were seeing them, but their <laughs> friends wind up 
you know, mind fucked for ever. So you really have to take what each kid can handle. And a lot of that depends on how imaginative they are, which is not like, oh, my kid's really imaginative, it's safe. It's like, no, your kid's really imaginative and they're going to take this another step into what is bothering them because that's what we're a vehicle for, which is exercising those demons. But you have to be, there's a reason we're labeled mature and, and yeah. R and those kinds of things. Uh, our comics are, are rated mature. Yeah. I, I wind up putting hand signals up for moms and stuff when they come by oh, the, yeah. the tables, kind of going, yeah, it's, it's not that there's tits in it, it's that there's issues in it. Mm-hmm. Have you covered those issues with your kids? It is comics are in a weird uh, space because parents that aren't into it, like they don't know, like oh, it's a comic book, it's safe for kids. Uh, where you know it's there are there are so many different levels. I remember when I took my, my son to uh, a comic a comic book shop for the first time, and he, he grabbed it was like something Marvel or DC, but it was more of a teen comic, and I was like, eh, let's go stick with the Mickey stuff. Like we'll yeah. start well, yeah. Yeah, have fun. Don't terrorize yeah. your child just because you want to show what you're tough. It's like you brought home a pit bull because mm-hmm. why? Um, you know, I think that you do what's okay for your kid. Yeah, I'm not offended if you don't buy my comic books for your eight-year-old. Mm. I don't. I actually think you're a little twisted if you do. <laughs> uh, we're starting. Uh, an all-ages horror line oh, okay. uh, at the start of next year, but it's made all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made for issues that younger, like say 10 and up, mm-hmm. are handling because because it's appropriate. Yeah, I think they can have good horror. Mm-hmm. I think they can have good issues and good scares, but that aren't dealing with maybe more existential angst that aren't in their field house yet I think that's that's neat because like my son he's six and a half mm-hmm. and Sunday nights we tend to sit down and watch The Walking Dead when it's TV season and he's in that weird age where it's hard for him to fall asleep because I don't, he's just hyper I guess I don't know what it is so he'll come moseying out. What are you guys watching? We pause it. Like, dude, you can't. You know what this is. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. I'll go back to bed. And then five minutes later, I thought I heard you guys call my name just because he wants to take a peek at it. So yeah, uh, it is. I would love to have a piece of horror that I can show him at a young age. But you know, the, the neat things is you're coming into October, so there's there'll be, you know, uh, the Simpsons. Yes. You know, Treehouse. There'll be. Uh, scary Tales, uh, uh, Donald Duck. Mm-hmm. There are all those fun things that you can show that are Halloween-based, where you know Huey, Dewey, and Louie get scared and run around. But they're on their level. Yes. And and that's fun, and yet they're not stupid. Uh, you know, they're not Casper the Friendly Ghost, which Casper's fun, but he's not scary. And if they want just that little tinge of scary, mm-hmm. you know, then you can you can tiptoe in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what we want is is for I would say maybe eight, but definitely ten and up mm-hmm. for um, Storm Kids comics to say, um, okay, there is something for you. Yeah. 
and you don't have to have heads cut off to enjoy it, mm. you know, and you don't have to worry about the state of your soul in hell um, and being afraid you're going to die today. Mm. I mean, we can, we can do this in little steps and you can still have fun and come out a hero. Yeah, I, uh, I do. I do cherish the day that I can watch all that stuff with my son because it'll yeah. be fun. I, but, I mean, especially my son, he's, he's uh, got a weak stomach. So when he sees his own blood, you know, so like let alone seeing all that stuff. So I know he, like, I don't even know if he'll be ready for it at that age. But uh, that is, that's exciting to see, see it embraced for the 10-year-olds because they are, I know, you know, I, I, I don't think I was exposed to it that young. I, like I, my first major horror franchise was Scream, like the, mm-hmm. with, from Wes Craven and that, I, I was, I think, age, but that was mid '90s, so I was probably 10 to 12. Yeah, I, and that's, right about and that's age okay for that one. Yeah, you know, I I think that you know, look, there's no absolutes. I just think you got your whole life ahead of you. Yeah, take it in steps, have fun, and make it so that there isn't some kid so afraid he's going to be considered out of it if he doesn't like something is mm-hmm. uncomfortable that uh, there's, there's lots of ways to have fun in fantasy land without being miserable. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they're ready, they'll come to it, or maybe they veer into sci-fi where they get a little bit of, of grim action or a little bit of scare in outer space, but maybe they'll never be a hardcore horror addict. It's yeah. okay. This, this, the, the biggest thing I find odd is the snobbery that starts happening in our genre where you want to go, dude, you know, lighten up. Uh, I didn't know we had to be so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, it took me 10 to 15 years to, to start getting into to the, the, the genre that was around at my time. And then it took me another 20 years to finally say, all right, let me go back to like the classic stuff and watch all that yeah. stuff that, you know, my uncle was raised on and, and would always tell me to watch. And I would just be hiding if if it was too scary for me. Yeah, you gotta remember it's your ears you have to block. (laughs) You kinda squint your eyes and block your ears. If you don't block your ears you're doomed. Yeah. Because then you're just gonna be screaming in the dark. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I like to to talk to my guests and and kinda get an origin story for them. Um, and you've been involved with so many different aspects of of, you know, creative arts and, and film. Um, with the Outsiders and Big tri- Trouble in Little China, uh, they live vampires, and the list goes on. Uh, as a screen supervisor, right? No, script, script supervisor, and um, and a producer. Uh, and uh, producer, I can kind of like figure out what that is. Um, script supervisor, knowing that you have kind of a, a background in writing, is that what's script supervising in in the film? Well, a script supervisor is a liaison between the shooting crew, editorial staff, and production. Okay. So, uh, literally, most people would think of it as uh, one part of the job is matching. Mm -hmm. You're making sure cigarettes are in the right hand. Uh, Um, But what you're really doing is you're logging a record of every, well, we say every piece of film shot, every shot in the movie. Mm and you're making sure the editor can find what you shot every day, uh, what the angles were, what the lenses were, so that you know that you covered the film and did what the director meant to do. Mm -hmm. And then you have a book 
and you're sending in pages every day to the editor of what you shot, along with the director's notes of what he's expecting out of it, along with what went wrong every take, what went right every take, what the editor should be looking for in performances, uh, what he thought the strengths and weaknesses of everything were. But you're inside the director's brain, ideally, keeping track of overall, not just continuity of matching, but continuity of uh, uh, momentum, pacing, um, tone, because generally you're not shooting in continuity. Yeah. You're shooting in several different locations and stages, and, and this is all supposed to look like it's an organic piece. So that's one part of what they do. And then you're also keeping a log for production of uh, page count, minutes it ran, how much of the movie have you shot, uh, are you in essence getting the movie done on time? And where do you stand with that? So it's a real interesting spot to be in in production because you have an overview of what everybody's doing. It's and especially when it you know the the continuity side of it like that's such an important piece because yeah. it can take you out of the movie if if it's blatantly obvious that it's yeah. not matching. The whole idea is that you try to make the experience as immersive as possible for the audience. Mm -hmm. And everything you do that deviates from that is a slight distraction. Now, if your momentum is great and the performance of the actor is so great, may carry them through. They may not even know why they're slightly distracted. And it may be that there's suddenly a woman in a blue dress that showed up in the background. Uh, that may be something they're never consciously aware of, but it's a slight distraction within the narrative. So mm -hmm. that's the that's why you care with how long the cigarette mm -hmm. is. It's why you care whether a bus drove through, or whether there's different sounds, or whether it's even suddenly sunny or cloudy. Mm -hmm. You're yeah. trying to keep things consistent to make it so that you're really focusing on the story at hand. How, how do you work around the weather? That's, it's, that's tough. You know, you do everything from uh, it really is so different you can't shoot, mm -hmm. or uh, you wind up using filters, you wind up changing uh, and uh, going inside, you wind up reversing the angle, putting silks up. There's a lot of work that goes into trying to just not be different. <laughs> Yeah, I feel weather's got. Is that like the hardest um, obstacle when you're? It, it can be big. It depends. You know, I I've shot in the mountains where they started out snow covered, and you wake up one morning and there's been a thaw. That's you know kind of unchangeable. Then you then you sit there and go, all right. Um, but you what you do is you're looking at weather patterns the whole time and kind of going, you know what. The temperature is about to warm up literally during the night. Shoot this out now. I know we're going into overtime, but there's going to be no snow tomorrow, and we can change the next scenes to not be out here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if we don't get the finish up this scene, we're going to look really stupid. There is a lot of responsibility under uh, your belt at that point. Weather, scene, structure. Yeah, those decisions are being made by production. So those oh, okay. are the decisions I make now. The script supervisor isn't making those. Gotcha. She's, she's not riding the weatherman. <laughs> but in the production office, we're definitely looking at the uh, long-range weather report. Mm -hmm. 
wow. we're looking at is rain coming in tonight and should we really break for a meal or should we break it in stages because rain is due in two hours and we're shooting in a convertible. Um, what are we going to do? Are we going to tarp it and the sound's going to be unusable? Or are we just going to shoot straight through, hope for the best, pay everybody's meal penalties, and get out of Dodge? There's a, there's a lot, I think, that goes into a movie that most people don't think about. Like that's, I mean, I, I, I enjoy watching film. I enjoy listening to, to people talk about film. So I kind of know some of it. Nothing about this end of it, though. And that's something that you never think of. At least well, from a, you know, my point of view. I don't th- I, you know, I'm sure people in a steel mill uh, have things about, you know, pouring pipes and and other forms of steel where they're going and then this happens and if the temperature isn't just right Mm -hmm. you wind up with a load of shards Um, you know every business has its requirements and things you learn and things that make you a professional Um, a bunch of people come in thinking that they're just going to wait for their limousines and cocaine and that, that that's what our business is yeah. and uh, ain't never going to happen if you have that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what led you to the creative arts? Like what, what's the origin point that you said, I'm going to go to school for, for art. I'm going to work in the movies. I'm going to be a writer, artist. Well, I think I was always creative. I grew up largely alone. I, I lived on a on a mountaintop in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, five miles from town, uh, on a ranch where the nearest kids were down the mountain on another ranch. Um, and I, I split my time between Glenwood Springs and LA. Uh, and then there I lived on another mountaintop, not far, not near m- much of anybody. And uh, I wrote stories and drew pictures. And I always thought I'd be an artist, so I wound up going to Art Center College of Design uh, on a special program while I was still in high school, and then I went to UCLA as a pictorial arts major, as a fine artist, and then I realized at some point that I was going to starve when I got out of college, (laughs) so I started uh, in their animation program. Mm And I really, I really kind of dug that. In my one of my goals became uh, to be an animator at Disney. Okay. And that was a really tough job to get. Mm-hmm. And about the time I got accepted at Disney by the old guard, that was back when Willie Reitherman was there, and all the guys that had names that sounded like cartoon characters okay. worked there. Um, I was also working with some some other guys and um, doing animated educational films. And I had to make a decision about whether I, because I was starting to do work for other friends who were all in the film department. Mm. It became a decision, do I go into live action or do I go into animation, which is where I thought I was always going. And I was a pretty reclusive person I really got afraid that for my overall life, I would become even more reclusive if I stayed in animation mm-hmm. and more isolated. And it was just one of those spur of the moment decisions where I turned down the job at Disney. Wow. Much to everybody's surprise, including my own. And um, 
made a decision to go for it in live action. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I worked for a while both in animation with the one company I've been with, with Lewis Hall and, and Carl Gutierrez, and, and then working movies for free to learn more. Mm-hmm and uh, painting platform shoes for a guy named Fred Slayton who, who uh, sold very expensive shoes to rock and rollers. Uh, that's kind of, like, I don't, I don't, obviously it's believable because you did it, but it's hard, I, it's hard to picture anyone saying, you know what, Disney, and, and especially like thinking in 2018 terms, like the big, one of the biggest companies, and I guess even back, you know, back then, a bit, one of the biggest companies. Well, they were it. Yeah. Uh, in terms of animation, I mean that w- that was the holy grail, mm-hmm. and you know, you never know when you're making the right decision. It's just a decision you got to make. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. That's it, it's good on you though for realizing what was important for you and and mm-hmm. your health, even you know. Um, so you you uh, have your hand in a lot of different things or have you're, you're a renaissance woman producer script supervisor artist writer uh ceo is there something out of everything you've done that you prefer writing drawing producing is there something you prefer over the other no i think it's all kind of holistic they, they all they all everything i've ever done believe it or not grew organically out of whatever else i was mm-hmm. doing all of my opportunities were just doors that opened as I was walking down the same hallway. Um, every experience I had enriched my skill set that allowed me to do the next thing. So I think most of my life became a why not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like if something presented itself, I'd think about it going, seriously? And then i go... Well, that just seemed kind of cool. Let's try it. And um, then, you know, like in the world of movies, most things happen as you grow your circle of of contacts, as you work with people, and you form teams with people Mm -hmm. uh, pretty naturally, that those opportunities grow, and different people gave me opportunities uh, I always liked just being a script supervisor and a member of the crew. Mm-hmm. I was real happy there. But different studio heads, executives and stuff wanted me to go into producing, which I never wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was pretty happy just where I was. Um, but someone I'd known for years on a, a TV pilot for CBS made me an associate producer while I'd been script supervising on that show. And that was a thing down in the Bahamas. And, uh, and it was okay. And then somebody else asked me to be a production manager on commercials. And it was okay. Um, still didn't set my world on fire, so I kept being a script supervisor. Mm-hmm. And then when I started working with John and uh, eventually had a, re- a personal relationship with him, so many people would essentially ask me to do production-oriented things. I finally said, fine, I'll take the title. Um, because you're not going to leave me alone. I'm going to have to do the job anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, so that's, you know, kind of, the, the producing came about because I, essentially I'm good at 
crossword puzzles mm -hmm. in thinking about solutions. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of doing things like comic books, um, that came about because our fans cross over into gaming and comics and TV, so it makes sense to be there. Mm -hmm. um, a script we had that we were developing for a television show. I kept hearing this, all these excuses and about moving the location from Los Angeles to be in, in Wilmington. And, and really the idea was they wanted to go non-union. And some little under-assistant development person said, well, it's not like it's a graphic novel we have to match to. And I just looked at her and went, actually it is. And walked out of the meeting went home, John said, so how'd it go? And I went, we're doing a comic book. And he said, really? What do we know about comics? I said, absolutely nothing we'll learn. And, I, <laughs> you know. Is that how Storm King uh, comics came to be? That's how Storm King comics came to be. So, um, and that was 2012, if I read? I never know dates. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. I never know dates. Uh, and, and that stems from the why not uh, that you mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah. Just kind of saying, let's do it. Let's do this. And, and I love that why not. Um, I'm a, a big fan of Kevin Smith, writer-director from yeah. Clarkson. And, and he has, every podcast he does especially live ones, he'll always kind of end on a be a why not person. Like, don't say yeah. why. Don't let people say why to you. Why would you want to make a movie? Why would you want to write a comic book? And that's, like, something I try to do in my life is, like, why not? Like, people, I used to wrestle, like, the same kind of stuff that they're doing in that room downstairs. And my whole family, everyone's like, why are you doing this to yourself? I'm like, why not? I like it. It's fun. I could be doing drugs. I could be doing the worst. Oh, that's the worst. always the parent's <laughs> ultimate threat. I could do drugs if you did do it. You know, my kids pulled that on me. It's just like, a, you know, bad comeback. But, you know, I just think when you have the opportunity and you have the creatives, and we spent two and a half years researching comics before we, we launched it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't think you take it lightly. You don't take another art form and just go, oh, because I make movies, I can do, uh, I'll be so good at this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, wrong you know um, but we were really fortunate in that because they're closely aligned uh, people in these genres mm. that we know I could go to people like Tim Bradstreet and Steve Niles and, and Jimmy uh, Palmiotti and people who were really very generous with their advice and, and help and go I could look at them and just plead stupidity and just go, I have not got a clue how this should go. Um, reading them doesn't mean you know how to make them. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like all the people that go, I know all about movies because I watch them. Good on you. <laughs> um, I would never be that disrespectful to mm -hmm. the medium to kind of go, oh, I got this. Mm -hmm. uh, but people were really helpful we did a lot of due diligence and you know hopefully what we brought to the to comics was somewhat different than what was already there it's uh when i found out that you guys had a comic i'm like how did i like how has this never been on my radar before and, and again it's probably because i'm so busy i'm in a creative mode for the last few years so like it's it's that kind of stuff comic books, movies, I'm so far behind the eight ball with everything. 
that I used to love as a, a content um, uh, consumption person. I, I, I just, it's all, I got to catch up. And um, it's one of my new loves is like diving into to the Storm King comics and, and, and the horror stuff. And um, it's, I love it. It's, it's great stuff that you guys have going on there. Thanks. Um, what's uh, like the next big thing for Storm King comics? Well, I think that the biggest news, I mean, what we have going on right now that's, that's the newest is the ongoing uh, tales of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Because that's monthly, and it changes. Uh, it's a series of mini-series. So however long the story takes to tell mm-hmm. is how many issues it runs. It's like Vault ran three issues, Vortex run, ran eight issues. Right now, Standoff is going on. It's starting to wind up. It'll be five issues. Uh, next will be Twitch. It's a Joe Harris book. Um, and so, so those have been really fun because you know, it's these writers from all different disciplines. Some are comic writers. Some are, are, are novelists. Some are screenwriters. Just writing really cool science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, those will keep going. But, again, like I said, we're doing uh, Storm Kids comics. And those will start somewhere early next year I've got a it's a matter of scheduling with the stores and diamond and whatever (laughs) the boring stuff yeah fortunately that's the only kind of consideration I have to give these we can write whatever we want but then it's like yeah 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 you need to know six months out and whatever else but those will start up in this next year and that should be kind of fun um and we'll do just enough of those um to kind of test the waters and see how they react to, to kid horror and sci-fi. Uh, I am super stoked for for that, so I can sit down uh, with my son. He'll be he'll be seven in January, so see if at least I can read it to him. Yeah, uh, and I think you know I think they'll be okay, and you'll be every parent will be able to judge yeah. how ready their own kids are for these. Um, we go back to the booth. There's one I can show you that I wrote as a, as a test okay. water. That's just a short story of, mm-hmm. you know, kids who decide to, to do the old thing where you break into the abandoned house that you're not supposed to uh, yeah, go into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That old. And, um, you know, that seemed to go over well enough and enough people were grabbing them up that I thought, you know, I, I, I think this can work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, if, and that kind of story is, is a story that every adult can relate to because they did it when they were kids. Every kid, probably maybe not my son, he's a little young, but like a ten to twelve year old kid yeah. can definitely like they've had that thought if they haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. At some point, it's going to occur to you this is a cool idea. Yeah. And this story will show you why it might not be. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> that's uh, amazing. I can't I can't wait to take a look at it downstairs, uh, Sandy. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. And we're back. Whoop. And there you go. You, you, you got it and you missed it. I was waiting for it. I went kind of, I, I did one of these to hit stop on the recorder to see if you're going to do it. Oh, oh, it was planned. It was planned. <laughs> um, so again, a fascinating conversation. I, I want to thank uh, Sandy King for her time. Um, it was, again, I enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And um, I, now that we're at this part, I can say, I can't believe she turned out a job at Disney. 
Oh wow! Yeah, she was. She was an. Because I'm just hearing about it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because again, we didn't listen to the interview live because we, you know, we have things to do. I'll listen to the interview live again when I edit. But yeah, she was. Um, she, she was into animation for a while. That's how she kind of first got into film and stuff was through through animation, and um, she wanted to work at Disney, and she got the opportunity to. But um, she had a at that point in her career had to either pivot to animation with Disney or pivot to live action. Um, and animation tends to, to keep you a little bit more, uh, secluded, she says. And she was that person already. Going live action made her grow. But yeah. She's like, so this, this would have made me more of a recluse. Whereas, whereas this would have made me, you know, out of my shell, basically I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah. But, um, so, and I was like, that's amazing. Like that's, I don't know that I have that kind of willpower. Like if, again, I use the example of Kevin Smith giving me a, a paying gig, whether it's in film Especially or if that was what she wanted. Like yeah, if she had yeah. been wanting to do it for a long time, then yeah, that's, that's a hard thing to say no to. I mean, I could see if you want to be an animator for Disney and you get a, you know, an offer from WB, I can see you saying, ah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I want to go do live action instead. Uh, but to say no to like what, what was for years perceived as your dream gig is, is amazing. Did she say anything about regretting it or no, she does not. Uh, she, she, uh, she, I don't, uh, did I ask, I don't know if I asked that question at all, but I think naturally that that question there is answered in our conversation okay. uh, to where she did it. Um, and I can't wait to see what they do with Storm King Comics, and, and they have um, a lot of projects coming down the pipe uh, that I'm super excited about. Um, I do want to wrap up on one final thing. One of the last things I did, I did the True Blood panel this day as well. Um, I'm not a True Blood fan because I never really watched the show. Um, I, the, I watched it, and I, I, it's probably something that really is in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you and I are into like that kind of like campy humor and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know? Yeah. We used to watch the Ramy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so, so it's probably in my wheelhouse, but I just never had time to watch it when it was on. And when, and it's uh, a commitment. It's like seven seasons. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. But it was you know such a great panel that I'm going to have a, either a separate episode on or uh, a separate article on because it was it was just fun listening to the, that cast talk. The only bummer was Macad Brooks was not there. I'm a big fan of his. He plays Jimmy Olsen on Supergirl, uh, and he left early that morning for a. Uh, he had to go shoot Supergirl, I assume, uh, up in Vancouver. So he had to leave Saturday. Um, uh, because something came up with shooting, so he wasn't able to be part of that panel. Or Sunday, he had to leave Sunday. Or something. I don't know. He had left some. He left before the panel. Like, um, why do you keep on pestering me about this? But one of the last things that I did, uh, you know, I, I I walked around the floor again. I had time to walk around the floor and kind of really appreciate the stuff there. And there was a lot of art that I wanted to. I like. I was like, oh my god, like I'm gonna buy all this art. And I was about to whip out my wallet and buy a bunch of things. Um, but I decided that like, I don't have a space to put it yet cause I'm still working in my studio and whatnot. Uh, but I did say right then and there that 2019, regardless if I'm going to a con as uh, a speaker or as part of the press or both, uh, I'm going to make it my goal to at least support one or two artists every, every con because they're out there hustling. And that's like one of the reasons I didn't interview anybody with this portable recorder, like as going up and down artist alley or anything was that I didn't want to be the guy that's like, let me waste your time when you could be selling stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I thought you had something to say. I was, I was thinking about it because like this next year that we're coming up on, we're talking about doing like two tables and getting like eight people going Mm -hmm. to like prep the show and everything. So like in a situation like that, like if a person has multiple people at the table, that's when you could have someone, but most of the time they're there by themselves. Especially Art Valley. Yeah. I mean, if you're traveling from all over the country, you don't have people going with you. You're trying to sell everything on your own. It's gotta be tough. I mean, Greg Capullo, for instance, I know he usually traveled his, he didn't, his wife didn't come this time because she had surgery. That's why he wasn't there Friday but um he was there saturday for batman day 
Um, and I think he, I don't think he stayed for Sunday either. I think he went home, but he has people like he had people running his table all weekend long. Um, but there are other artists who are local or, or they're within like the six hour driving range that is going to come by themselves and try to hustle to sell. So it's, it's a hard thing for me to go up there and be like, let me waste 15 minutes of your time that you could be selling that you could be selling. So I I need to get to that point where I'm, I'm not. Uh, do that on a Thursday. Yeah. People would be like, thank you for taking my Yeah, time. I, I think that there's time to do that. And I don't know that the middle of a Friday or Sunday is necessarily that time. It's maybe the beginning of the day or the end of the day. I think you could get, get away with it the middle of Sunday if they're not like planning yeah. on going to a panel or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. End of Sunday is tough and then like all day Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, but I did see a lot and I made that commitment of being able to, to buy a couple things just to support the artists that are there. Uh, and plus it will help me get my studio dec- nice and decorated and whatnot. Uh, but the, la- the very last thing I did was, a, a I don't know why I didn't, this didn't click to me as a feedback panel, but it was a, a Q and a with the Keystone staff. I was like, Oh, this might be cool. And I get it in. It was basically them talking to the artists and everything. No, it was them talking to, it was like three or four guys from Keystone who, who helped put this thing together, talking to people who were, I think that the, the um, exhibitors and, and um, vendors and stuff had a separate room that they were doing that in, but for press and general. Oh, to kind of get like your, con- your concept of how it went yeah, and yeah. what they could change. And-, and that was neat because I've only ever seen that happen. I've only ever seen requests for feedback once. And that was from PAX Unplugged, but it was only through email. I didn't see any kind of panel where they had something in person. Yeah. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense because you want it fresh in your people's minds. And to be, in- to be in person means that you're taking it serious, I think. And was like, I got one of the guys' emails because you know me and someone else had the same um, thought of there's a lot of local talent, a lot of local content creators that you could work with to help promote this, um, and they need to promote better in the suburbs because there was a lot of people there in, in that room that were from the suburbs, and they only heard about it because of X, Y, Z, but nothing because of being in the suburbs. So there is, uh, I, I, I got to get off my lazy button and actually email the guy, but like, I'm excited that they seem to be really willing to work with the local community, content creators or not, to kind of make sure that next year is even better. And if they had that space over to the right that you said, then they have the room well, to fill that and, out. And a big complaint, which I don't think I talked about uh, ahead of time with the, the live stage in the wrestling arena, like I said I was going to, um, I, me and Mega Ran and me and Sandy King had to leave the show floor to go do our because it was just so loud. It was so loud, and Sandy, that was one of the complaints that they had. It was a rule last year as well, so it, it must be like the location is really tough to kind of plan out the right way. And the people in that feedback room said that you know that loud stuff should really, if you can, put it in a separate area altogether. And they have like they they have the ability to shut the the doors, yeah, or the, the wall well, or whatever. So you could just have it separated by you know we've got. Hall C and yeah. D, but then we have Hall B for the wrestling ring and the yeah. music act and stuff like that. And I think that, and I get the idea of not wanting to close it off so that like people can be like, oh, let me go over there because I'm yeah. over here. But but I think that it makes a lot more sense um, as a person of the press that was there. It would make it easier to talk to people. And it's tough even for an artist who's not getting mm-hmm. um, recorded because like they you have to you have to yell to the person you're trying to sell to exactly. So. It's it's a, it's a bother for for everyone, press, um, customer, 
and artist or vendor. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see what they do next year. I, I, it seems like they took that into consideration. Um, they, there's a lot of things that some people complained about that was really kind of out of their hands. Like I think the food offering is generally supplied by yeah, yeah. the convention center, not the read pop. So like that was like, they're going to see what they can do, but like probably nothing because yeah. that's not up to well, them. Well, maybe they can bring, because like... Food at, trucks or something. Yeah, yeah, because at, at Wizard World, they have the, the soda thing that, travels with them all over the place wild bill have, or whatever yeah yeah that was have, there that was there for keystone oh, okay cool yeah but they have like the stella artois trucks that yeah, come in so yeah. they could probably do something like that mm-hmm. and and honestly a food truck is probably an awesome thing to be able to put on the show floor because it's not even like you can't just drive it right up yeah. so if you wanted to set up at a, at a convention for three weeks and you had or three three days and you had a taco truck <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I mean, you definitely have a lot of Deadpool cosplayers at your taco truck. <laughs> <laughs> and me, chimichangas, man. Uh, but it was, uh, it was, it was a good time overall. The con was fantastic. There was there was first year mistakes made, but I think compared to. Uh, another first year con that I went to last year. Uh, I think the mistakes were, were were easily managed and and not a big deal to me. Like I could work around it. Um, and maybe I'm just like really mad at the other first year con for not including any local talent. But uh, we'll see. Pax Unplugged is supposed to do better. Ooh, I named them. Uh, Pax Unplugged is supposed to do better this year. I'm actually going as a member of the press this year for Pax Unplugged uh, because I didn't feel like I had anything to offer as far as a speaker at, at that uh, con. So I decided to go for press. Uh, Are you doing all three days or? Uh, I'm going to see. I'm going to try. Because um, uh, we're kind of still trying to figure out because Matt is in California. So if I was going to go to do Quantum Quest again, mm. it would be by myself or with Rihanna. Yeah. So we don't know if we do all three days or no days. So. I, um, I'm i going to try to go. I'll probably go at least on a Friday um, and at least Sunday again. I want to try to make it all three days. Um, and, and, and I'll know more people at this con. Um whether or not you show up or not. Cause I know like, I'm sure Jeff will go there again. I know da- uh, empire Dave Steele will go there again. So there's going to be more people that I'll, I'll see. It's weird. I, I know a lot of people in that community without actually being in that community, but you'll get there anyway. You're yeah. Like well, right around the corner. Well, actually we are, uh, I, I'm, yeah, there's a couple. We have a couple role playing things that I want to launch in the next uh, couple months to a year uh, with with the Zomcast. Um, I'm just waiting on product for that. Basically, uh, I need to get off my lazy bum and and launch this this other thing that I, I think I told you about. Um, that's I don't want to give away the name or concept, but it's um, it's a thing unique, unique to say the least. Unique, kind of like a two player actual play podcast it's unique in that way uh anyway uh we we got to split because this inter this interview was longer i don't want to keep everyone here uh too too long so a i want to thank everyone for taking the time to sit down and listen to everything is awesome you could be doing anything with your time and you chose it to spend with mike and i and miss sandy king carpenter and if you listen to the other one megaran uh so thank you guys for spending time you could be doing it anything else literally that's probably more productive than listening to me babble but you chose it uh if you support us on patreon thank you if not go to patreon.com slash that entertains and consider supporting us there and if you can't do it a uh support us monetarily there are a there are plenty of non-monetary ways five-star rating reviews on itunes uh word of mouth recommendations and just forcing everything is awesome down your best friend's gullet uh whoever your best friend is Anyway, Mike, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on www.telus.com. T-E-L-L-E-S-T. I think my Twitter is Telus, too. It I, is. I, I don't I, know. And then Facebook is Telus Books. Maybe. I think. 
And then, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the big ones. And I think Instagram is also telespokes, but I don't know if you do anything with Instagram. Sure. I, I'm so bad at marketing, man. Yeah, I, dude, so, so am I. Uh, that's like, I need to be, I need someone to do it for me. I, I was talking to somebody today about like, I don't plan on marketing myself until like I have multiple trilogies out. And like, I'm probably shooting myself in the foot because people probably don't really give a shit. Yeah. Like, they'd probably be like, yeah, I'll read a book. <laughs> so. I like books. I'll read a book. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening. You can find this show on Twitter at Real Awesome Pod. We're also at Real Awesome Pod on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at Awesome Podcast whenever I decide to insta there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at That Nerdy Kev. That's where I do most of my tweeting. That's Martin. And of course, you can find us on the That's Entertainment Podcast Network on ThatEntertains.com slash network. We're on our own homepage, AwesomePodcast.com. Uh, and you can find me at nerdykev.com. I'm everywhere. You can either you can usually find me at that nerdy kev or nerdy kev somewhere on the interwebs. Uh, and with that being said, we'll be back next time with some sort of fantastic interview. I don't know because I got 95 interviews recorded sitting on my folder to edit. For everything is awesome. I'm Kev. I'm Mike. We'll see you next time right here on awesomepodcast.com. Whoop. That's Entertainment Podcast Network. Entertainment and culture. Artist owned. Fan supported.